Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-host, Mickey Turner. This is the other voice that you hear. Tim Foss. Of course, Ari Lillian Wall. This has been an extremely weird podcast. Getting dragged all day. So the bottom line is they, they don't have an answer to that. There's a reason they got signed to first team contracts. And if you're not going to give them respect for that, then have fun losing again next Very year. special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounders. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. We have assembled a fun team here. I don't think we've ever, we've never had this exact group before, and I don't know that uh, we have at least one new uh, contributor today to the to the show, uh, but let's go around and, and introduce ourselves. Everyone, kind of say hi. Mark Kastner, of course, is here. Hello, uh, Dave Clark, who you probably know. Hey there, and Ian Lamberson. Am I getting that right? That's correct. Hello, oh, hello good. Hello. And he's been on the show before, just not with you. Oh, just not with me. So then, uh, no new voices, just a new <laughs> assemblage of voices. Super group. Uh, we we that, like to keep you on our toes, listener. Yeah, it's like um it's I don't know. There's one of the offshoots of the Avengers, I'm sure, uh to torture a <laughs> Garth Loggerway uh, <laughs> Um The New Mutants or something like that. Assemble. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh well anyway, thanks for X Factor. There we go. Um that was a that was a well anyway, I'm I'm getting distracted by myself. Anyway, we got a we have an MLS Cup final to play tomorrow, uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, unfortunately, it is being played under a bit of a, a dark cloud. Not only has, is the world of COVID uh, very much a part of it, but we were reminded of it in a very visceral way uh, this week when it was announced that Darlington Agby and Pedro Santos were both going to be out of the game. Uh, Darlington Agby has confirmed that he has uh, COVID-19, uh, Santos has not confirmed that, but I, I think we can probably reasonably assume that's the case. Um, but it, it leaves the crew a bit shorthanded. I assume these are not just two players on their team. They're maybe two, maybe two of their most important, maybe they're two most important players in some ways. You know, At maybe is two, two of their three most important players. Certainly two of their three most important players. Uh, Nagby is, of course, like the midfield engine. He is sort of like, a cross between, I, I guess you could maybe call him a, a Jao Paulo. Maybe he's a little bit of a cross between Jao Paulo and Nico Ladero. Uh, and, and, Dar- and, and then of course, Pedro Santos, who is their second leading scorer had, had scored two goals in the, in the playoffs as well. Uh, a very important player for them, but let's just start he's there. Like, he's like Victor Rodriguez. If Victor Rodriguez was healthy all the time. Yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy. Uh, but yeah, so let's start there. Uh, what what do we make of this change, and how do we think that's gonna impact the way that this game plays out? I think that it's unfortunate that Columbus will not be at their best in the final. Um, it because I think it makes it makes watching the game automatically worse. Um, I know, I know Caleb Porter said in his press conference today that, you know, they're not going to change their tactics. They're not going to change the way that they play, but those are two types of players that they do not have even like for like replacements for even worse versions of what they do. They just don't, those players are, are unique to what they bring to Columbus's setup. So without them being in the lineup, it makes Columbus worse. And I just think that that's a bummer because, um, I've been looking forward to this game all week just in terms of like, I think these are two really good teams and it would be fun to watch two really good teams play against each other. Um, and having one of those teams be, be worse off already off the bat is just kind of a, kind of a bummer. It also is a kind of a, another reminder of uh, everything 2020 just in that, like we're trying so hard to use sports to avoid thinking about reality but reality has interfered with sports so often, whether it's MLS Cup playoffs, MLS regular season, MLS is back, the layoff, all of that stuff that's related to soccer. But, you know, the fact that Jeremiah and whoever else with Sounder at Heart is not there 
is, you know, it's not normal. Um, and so for all of our attempts to uh, think about sports as this avoidance of reality, um, Fox isn't going to be able to ignore the fact that every team that's advanced in the playoffs has at some point missed out on their best talents. And that will remain true um, until things get sorted. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely, it, it does make the Columbus crew a worse team, like Mark pointed out. Like, there's just no way around that. Um, and certainly it makes MLS Cup a bit less of a spectacle, maybe. Um, and I think it, it's a bummer, too, if you're, if you're a Sounders fan, if you know that like that's going to be forever attached to this, like even if you go out and win that people are going to be like, Oh yeah, well, okay. But you know, Nagby had COVID and you know, like they were missing their players and it would have been different. And um, you know, it just makes the occasion. It it does. Like I think Jeremy alluded to, it just hangs a little bit of a dark cloud over it. And um, so, yeah, I'm disappointed that this is what happened. I I would I think that it would have been a very, a very good game. I think the Sounders are are good enough to beat Columbus, even with those two guys in the lineup. Um, But we're we're not going to know for sure. And, and that, that makes me a little bit sad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the betting markets had this as a very, very slight crew uh, advantage. And I think that was, you could chalk that up almost entirely to the home, them being at home uh, before the injury, the, the lines moved a fair amount uh, by MLS standards, at least. Uh, and the Sounders are now fa- favored. Uh, I did not see a change on 538, which um, I assume doesn't bother to, update their numbers when for this kind of thing uh, but but that had it as a 50 50 so i mean i think that this was you know i think the sounders on the whole probably would have been favored on a position by position talent basis but um and it would have been a good match i think it, 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 they're an interesting team to contrast one another and and it does kind of bum me out that no matter what happens you know the sounders win this and it's like, yeah, but the crew didn't have their whole team. And if the crew win, it's like, God, how did the Sounders blow this when they were missing their best players? And it just feels like, you know, all of a sudden the Sounders are in not a no-win situation. And that's uh, that's that's making too much light of this. But it is it's just a bummer. I was hoping that these two teams would go into this as close to full strength as possible. In part because I think it would have been a really fun game. And I and I now. I know Porter said that he wasn't going to change anything and that they are super confident in the guys they have, but he's also become a much more pregnant and maybe the, you know, 2013 version of Caleb Porter would have just gone guns blazing. And, you know, there's a story. 2013 that- version of Caleb Porter wouldn't be in a final. <laughs> uh, no, but they, I mean, the 2013 yeah. version had a pretty good team that destroyed the Sounders. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh but you know, it's funny. Steve Zakawani had a had a little anecdote in a column that he wrote today about how apparently when he was at Akron, they were down two guys and they subbed in two forwards and they came back to win some game that they were down two, you know, three one and and it was like this amazing example of Caleb Porter just kind of throwing caution to the wind and going for it. I don't think that's what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't, you know, I, I don't think they're going to double down and put a bunch of offensive guys in. But how well set up is this team to bunker and to just kind of force the Sounders to kind of come at them the way that, you know, maybe the Timbers did earlier this year a few times? I don't think that they're set up that well to do that. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we were talking to Keith Costigan yesterday and you made the point that whereas Caleb Porter used to use possession as like an attacking force, his Columbus crew team uses possession as more of a defensive approach. Uh, they're also missing a very important center back to an ankle injury. Um, uh, somebody can fill me in on his name, Vitor. He sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons character. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, Wormur or something along those lines. Yeah, so that's Wormgore. Yeah, Wormgore. Yeah. Yeah. So they've been playing Josh Williams, who is maybe maybe a worse version of their Shane O'Neill. You know, somebody they're not expected to be playing a ton of minutes and here he is starting in a final. Um, and they don't really have other central midfielders besides Darlington Agmi and Artur. So uh, if, if you're looking at, if you're looking at bunkering, you need a strong central defense and a strong central midfield. And I don't think they can really do that. So um, I know like just a few minutes ago, I was talking about, 
Caleb Porter not changing his tactics. And maybe I just talked myself into uh, <laughs> him not changing his tactics, but um, yeah, the most similar center mid is um, Vitaya Lash. The yeah, former Vitaya Lashi or, um, or Greg Berhalter's kid who's 19. And I don't know if they're going to start a teenager in the MLS cup final. <laughs> so, um, it'll be like, I think, I think as soon as we see a Columbus's lineup, we'll know a lot. Maybe they drop Zella Rayon back into central midfield and go kind of empty bucket with two forwards. Um, I don't in like pa- in the yeah. past. It looks like they've used Zella Rayon as a kind of a second forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and and gone to a, a form a, a more of a four four two formation. Um, you know they do have a fair amount of. Ex- I, I will say they they have a fair amount of experience playing without Nagby this year. You know he missed half the season, and or close to half the season, and and they weren't they didn't completely fall apart during that time. Uh, they, they haven't missed both him and Santos obviously, and Santos has been a really good player for them. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know, Ian, what do you, what do you make of it? Do they, does this team, how does this team approach the Sounders with a talent deficit? Uh, I mean, I, I, I believe Caleb Porter says that he's not going to change things, but I, I don't see how that's possible given everything that we've said, um, you know, and I, I looked at it and they, they have, they flipped without not be a lot and like they didn't fall apart, but they, they've not been as good. Like they are a much, much better team when they play with Arlington Agby and, there's just no getting around that. Um, I don't even know. It, it would be sort of like just in terms of influence, maybe like losing Ladero. I know that they, they play different roles on the pitch, but it's that kind of thing that they're, they're missing that, that sort of mm-hmm. engine that drives them. Um, so I, if you're not going to change any single thing, I mean, good luck. I'm not sure how that's going to work out for you. Um, I think the crew, one of the ways I think that you can frustrate Seattle and the crew have done it to us in the past um, is to kind of go into more of a lower block and to kind of just try to absorb. And we've seen Seattle um, when they're not on, when they're having a frustrating game, it's usually when you see that, the, you know, the balls get sprayed out to the wings a lot. They try a bunch of crosses and, and, and we've seen Columbus in fact, do that to Seattle in the past. So um, it wouldn't be the worst idea. I know that that's not what Columbus crew fans will want to hear or see or I don't think that Caleb Porter is going to come out and say before the game, that's what he's going to plan to do. But um, depending on how the first 10, 15 minutes of this match go, I can see that being a very reasonable and pragmatic tactical shift for him to make. You know, and it, one of the things that came up and I, I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about it, but there was a lot of things I think that were encouraging about the Minnesota game. And, you know, one of them was the Sounders showed they could get punched in the mouth and they could, they could pull out a victory. But another one was, you know, we've spent so much time this year bemoaning their ability to break down a bunker. And I realize that Minnesota is not necessarily set up to be a bunker team, but man, they really did bunker in those last 15 minutes and it could not have worked out worse for them. Uh, you know, what were the, what did you guys think that the Sounders, you know, let's assume for the sake of this conversation that Columbus tries to just sit in a low block and force the Sounders to come at them. Is there anything that we saw in that 15, 20 minutes of the Sounders just, you know, ramming down the, the, uh, the walls there in a, in that game? Is there anything that the Sounders can take from that, that I realize you, you can't keep up that pace for 90 minutes, but was there something there that maybe we, the Sounders were able to figure out? I think in the first half, a lot of the stuff that frustrated us about the overpassing in that kind of final 25 yards or so, where they'd be looking for that that slick little pass that would be extraordinarily special, but almost never works out. Um, those are the kinds of things that they use to to great effectiveness to uh, eventually break through. Uh, it was better than when we've seen in the past where they've kept going to cross and cross and cross and cross and cross. Uh, instead, we saw small movements and Joven Jones and Jordan Morris in particular popping up in, in um, more central spaces. Uh, kind of flooding the zone with options where you'd have Joven and Jordan and Nico and Raul all within like this 20 yard bubble trying to get these slick, tiny, delicate passes through. And I kind of prefer that. And if they start off 45 minutes doing that through a low block, all of a sudden the, the, it, uh, it forces so much thought from those center backs. Um, Center backs don't want to think they just want to do. And that, 
is going to be better for Seattle than having Christian Roldan um, and Nuhu um, and Kelvin, Alex, whichever, just lob in early, early crosses that are 60 yards in the air that give a defense time to, to adjust. I also I think, go ahead, Ian. Yeah. I was going to say the other thing I, I kind of took from this kind of playoff run as a whole is just how crucial set pieces have been. Um, like, you know, we scored two against Minnesota that way. And like, that was how we scored against Dallas and we conceded two against Minnesota. And uh, I think one of the LAFC, I think the LAFC goal was off set piece. So like it, it's, it's definitely when you're in a cagier game like this, and especially as all finals just by their nature tend to be, um, this is something in the past that Seattle have not excelled at uh, scoring from set pieces, creating from set pieces. And um, so if they can keep that run of luck going, if they can keep that, if they figured out something there that's working really well, that's going to play a huge difference. I think in this, in this, in this game tomorrow as well. Yeah. I was surprised. I, I saw a stat and I don't, I haven't been able to confirm this, but I saw a stat that said the Sounders were actually leading MLS. Uh, and I, maybe this include the playoffs or maybe it's just from, maybe it was just from the playoffs, but uh, half their goals uh, have been scored. Certainly, half their goals in in the playoffs were scored from set pieces because they also had the one against uh, they had, had one against LAFC as well. So yeah, I mean, I, I they've suddenly this is not a team that I I immediately think of as being great at set pieces. You know, they don't score a bunch of direct free kicks. They don't have a bunch of really clean corners where they're these wonderfully executed uh, routines, but they are, they tend to get into dangerous positions on these. They create dangerous opportunities. You know, Raul Rui Diaz seems to just find himself with the ball at his foot in dangerous spots all the time off of corners. And it's, you know, it is a remarkable thing that I, I wonder, I can't help but think that maybe the Sounders can finally use this to their advantage. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's incredibly like rudimentary to talk about soccer like this, but I think like Raul is so short. I think he gets lost on set pieces sometimes. And when you stick him on the back post kind of, you know, 15 yards out and there's a lot of movement, you know, like you have Shane O'Neill and Yamar running, you know, running at the six yard box, like that, like that movement towards towards the goalkeeper and towards the goal on a set piece or a corner kick leaves space on leaves space kind of at the back of, of the, of the penalty area. And that's kind of like where Raul Rui Diaz does all of his great stuff. Like all of his best goals have happened there regardless of set piece or whatnot. And it's extremely difficult to deal with that type of movement in the box. And he is so like, he's so small and so quick that, he's he's inevitably going to be popping up in these areas yeah that's really his feature i mean like that's that's a that's a that, that's him working exactly to design like that that is what he does so so well is that sort of um his way of disappearing and then reappearing in the box and um yeah and i, I looked it up uh jeremiah and throughout the regular season seattle have been you know not about league average around on, on like generating xa from uh set pieces so um it's definitely been more important than I, I i think that than we would have thought maybe going going into the playoffs it, and so Rui diaz i think as a player we can all agree is going to play a important role in this match is there someone else from the sounders that maybe is less obvious that you think could be and end up being a, an important factor in in how this ends up playing out especially if we assume that the crew have to go into a more defensive posture uh i'm gonna go for jp uh Gio paulo uh without having to monitor uh darlington nagby that should allow him a little bit more freedom to enter the attack um he doesn't have to sit back quite as much and it's fun when he can turn into um when both he and christian are doing the uh, six and the ten at the same time sort of thing because all of a sudden, Seattle, um, as they did against Minnesota, can sit with basically one of their center backs on their own side of the uh, the center line, and even the other one, which oddly enough is Shane O'Neill, who I never thought would be a good enough passer to contribute to possession in the attack. But there's plenty of times where we've seen in this playoffs against Dallas and Minnesota 
where Shane O'Neill's 40 yards from the, uh, the attacking goal, um, helping the team cycle it through. But if, if you can get Zhao Paulo um, active and involved in the attack, uh, Seattle is going to score multiple goals and not just pluck one and uh, hope for the best. I do wonder if um, the with talking to Nagby and Santos being out, if it makes picking Gustav Svensson in the central midfielder role even more likely um, because you might have Zellerion playing, you know, further up the field as more of a second forward or even dropping deeper into the midfield to pick up the ball and just kind of having Svensson control that 30 yard box uh, wherever Zellerion goes, because that's, that's their attacking outlet now. Uh, I think Diaz is a very good player, but he's young and he's kind of a, he's kind of a um, Michael Barrios type of winger who doesn't really want to be in the buildup, just kind of wants to be fast and, and end up on the ball in the box. So um, I wonder if that's what Brian Spetzer's thinking to do in the midfield, which, which would allow Christian Roldan to play on the wing and create those, um, those central overloads that you were talking about, Dave. And then if it doesn't work, you have Joven Jones on the bench and um, he's, he's good too. So <laughs> I was just, I was just kind of thinking like, if, if we're not going for obvious answers, if, you know, if we're not going to say Jordan Morris, if we're not going to say Nicholas Ladero, um, I'm, I'm wondering if, if that type of lineup decision could happen tomorrow night. You know, Svensson is someone who I was kind of favoring to start regardless. And I I think it's even – I think you you hit the nail on the head. I think it's even more important maybe to start Svensson if you are potentially facing a bunker, especially when you're not going to have Javier Arriaga uh, potentially, who I, I think has been really helpful in terms of helping break teams down uh, from the back because he's such a good passer, and he's not going to be in this game. I don't know how – likely he was to start regardless. I was hoping that he'd start, but that's obviously not a, not going to be a, an issue anymore. Uh, he, in case you haven't heard, uh, stayed in Seattle to be with his wife who is expecting the couple's first child soon. And, uh, and especially in times like this, I can understand why he doesn't want to take any unnecessary risks. Uh, even if they, I don't know if they're expecting the kid to be born this weekend exactly, but it, it made sense, I think, to, to stay home and be safe in that way. Um, but the other big lineup decision, I think, is Kelvin Leardham or Alex Roldan. Uh, I'm just curious where you guys fall on, on that one, because I think that might be a little tougher of a decision, in part because Alex has played so well. I, I think it's maybe a little bit easier to put Joven Jones on the bench to bring in Gustav Svensson, because Joven hasn't had as many obvious contributions. One of the things that I thought went really well in the last 20 minutes of the game against Minnesota is... Uh, you know, we've talked constantly this year about how the Sounders have different ways to break down teams. And I think one of the, one of the things that they did in that last 20 minutes was uh, they brought on Brad Smith and Kelvin Ludam, who were their uh, primary fullbacks in 2019, which was in the way that they attacked in 2019 was just to use the fullbacks to get the ball at the pitch and then feed it into the center. Like Dave was talking about. And I think that if, if the way that Columbus is going to approach this game is to bunker, I think you start Kelvin Ludan because he, he carries the ball up the field much better than Alex Roldan. I think Alex Roldan has a better final ball at this point um, with his, with his crosses and, and his passing around you know, the last 25 yards of the field. But I think Kelvin Ludam is, is much more valuable in possession um, in the, in the midfield and further back on the pitch. Yeah. If you'll permit me to like leave the world of stats here for a second and just go to some old sports cliches, you know, in these kind of games, I do <laughs> like, I do actually like the the idea of having the experience there in Leardam. Um Don't get me wrong. I think Alex Roldan has played really, really well uh, in, in Leardam's absence. And, uh, you know, Alex Roldan, you know, decent right back is not a narrative I thought I'd be thinking about or discussing at all at the beginning. <laughs> of the season. 
So, um, but that being said, uh, you know, Roldan did get a little trouble against Minnesota, um, that early yellow card. And then that kind of really, I, I, you know, it was difficult to kind of watch after that. (laughs) Every time he went up for a tackle, you're just kind of like, you know, um, and again, I think that is just something that kind of comes with more experience. And, and Leardam has just been here in this particular, he's been in MLS cup finals before he scored an MLS cup finals. Like he just, this is the kind of fixture that I think you do. If you have a good veteran there, if he's ready to go, if he's feeling better and he can play a full game, uh, I, I think you go with him. Um, but I'm not going to be, um, you know, rending garments. If, if it's rolled in, I, 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 I will trust Messer to make that decision. It's kind of weird that we went from, um, Alex Roldan getting his first ever start at right back on the uh, March 11th game, which was the last professional soccer game played in North America before COVID. He started that for Tacoma defiance against San Diego. Oh, Loyal. Man. That was, wow. his- <laughs> you know, it was funny. I was, I was like, did he start against the crew? And wasn't that game on the eighth? And then he comes with the Tacoma defiance hammer. Yeah. Right. It, well, right. um, you know, back when I had a job. Um, so, <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden now it's basically a 50-50 call, whether or not this guy who'd never been a right back before and started the, who the entire organization thought would be like, well, we'll see if he can beat out Anthony Burke. Right. And now it's like, well, he might actually be as good as Kelvin Lerdam and free up a ton of money uh, right. next year uh, even. So, yeah. Uh, um, his development is probably, um, I mean, outside of the fact that three guys made the best 11 um, and COVID, but Alex Roldan having that level of development, I don't know that we've seen a player make those steps um, that hadn't been hyped before. DeAndre right. Yedlin made those steps, but he yeah, was the Washington kinda... State player of the year and was a, a U.S. youth national team guy, so fine, but... Alex Rodan was a good got cut last year. at Seattle U. Um, yeah, I mean, Alex Rodan, it's, it, you know, it, it, it's sometimes easy to overlook this, but, I mean, he was literally cut at the end of last season. The Sounders were, you know, like almost rolling their eyes at the possibility of Alex wanting to come back this year. At this, at this time last year, he was definitely not a player. Like, he may have been the player – who you least expected to start MLS Cup the next year. I mean, it was his his rebound has been so extreme and has been really gratifying, I think, in a lot of ways, in part because he was someone who I think had a skill set that it's not like the skill set came from nowhere. He's he's he was a good player at Seattle U, but he was a he was an offensive player at Seattle U. Um, but he always seemed to be a, a tough fit as a MLS quality midfielder because he just never showed a lot going forward and the funny and I've said this before but the funniest thing I think is that his ability going forward looks better as a right back than it ever looked as a as a wide midfielder it says so much about the organization though about how they use their their fullbacks to be creators whether it's a Jovan Jones Brad Smith DeAndre Yedlin Kelvin Lerno you want a player who's capable of being a winger yeah but to actually be the fullback that's their desire um that's why they once upon a time wanted henry wingo to do it too and then he stepped into his own um you know it's a it's kind of fun it's it's fun to see that theory continue to be proven out and do it um as players step up those ladders in in development there's been a lot of conversation this week about um Brian Smetzer as a head coach in Seattle and in MLS. And I, I don't really want, (laughs) (laughs) I really don't want to get into that. uh, The debate that's existing in other spaces, but I think one of the underrated um, aspects of his time as head coach of the Seattle Sounders is his ability to uh, kind of have his guys. And I think Alex has become one of Brian's guys uh, this season and it completely unexpected. But I think, um, I think we talk about Brian Smetzer in a way like, you know, sometimes we get, when things aren't going well, we get frustrated with his lack of youth and we get frustrated at his, at his quotes when he's talking about youth players. Um, And, you know, like, sometimes he brings on another fullback instead of bringing on 
um, maybe a younger player in an offensive position. And like, I, I think that that's completely valid and I've gotten frustrated at those things before, but I think what you're seeing, what you're seeing from all those quotes from, from Brian talking about those things and what you're seeing with Alex Roldan is you're seeing consistency in, in philosophy. And I think that that's really, really important and underappreciated in major league soccer is to have a coach with that vision that, that Dave was talking about. And even having a team with, with front office personnel to have that vision because they gave Alex the chance to be the backup right back. And they said, okay, this is your job to lose. They could have very easily brought back um, Abdul Salam, who I thought was an excellent role player last year for the Sounders. But, you know, they said, okay, Alex, this is your spot to lose. And not only did Alex not lose it, he made it his own throughout the season. And I think that that of course speaks volumes to Alex and his personality and his willing willingness to work hard, but it also speaks volumes to Brian Smetzer and how he coaches this team. Um, and, and now we're talking about Alex Rodon being a starter on one of the three, one of the three best MLS teams next season, potentially, which I think is just, it's, uh, it's not going to get, it's not going to get talked about, before MLS cup on any sort of preview show, like on TV or on the internet or anything. But I think it's important to point out that there's a, there's a consistent philosophy of, of dedication and hard work that exists in this organization that uh, obviously they would be worse off without. It kind of makes me wish that I like could actually have time travel so that I could go back to myself last year and just tap myself on the shoulder at the MLS cup parade, just go, and you're going back to the final next year. And Shane O'Neill and Alex Holden are going to be in the back line. Okay. Bye. <laughs> and no, and nobody's going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> 1500 yeah. people are going to be in attendance. Right. They're going to yeah. resign Brad Smith, by the way. And <laughs> he's going he's to gonna be the 14th man on the roster. Right. Well, you, you know, uh, funny, you bring up Brad Smith. That was actually where I was going to go. Is there an argument to start Brad Smith over this one? Or are we no. all convinced that knew who is the bang on starter right now? I don't think I don't think you can at this point. Uh, he has one start this season. Uh, yeah. I just like you can't do that to like this isn't even a conversation about who you think is the better player mm-hmm. in the long run or who you think the better player is presently. Like you just can't do that to the, the way that this team is built. And I know we talked about this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. I don't think Brad Smith really works with how this team is set up from the start. I think he's a great substitute, you know, when you need, um, when you need some more, when you need better service and you need uh, a better player in possession, uh, from the left back position like they did when they were two goals down against Minnesota. But I think new who has come leaps and bound this season. And, and if you bench him for the final, uh, you kind of ruin the locker room. I think I'm going to pull a deep cut here and it'll eventually surprise no one, but you, you start, you start the guys who get you there in, in my opinion. And that's part of why we saw Shane O'Neill and Alex Roldan in the last game. But that's why you're going to see Nuhu in the finals because he's the guy who got you there. Yeah. And if you overthink this, it's essentially like starting Sammy Ochoa against Salt Lake <laughs> rather than Mike Facito, who had started like the 10 games prior. Oh, and man. you have like an eight one in one record with oh, Sammy man. Ochoa. Wow. Man, it's, that's Sam and Sammy don't, Ochoa. Don't overthink it. Don't shift in the player that completely changes the defining style. Because uh, it might be better for that matchup. Uh, and I, and I, I don't Brad, even think it is. I don't even think Brad not, Smith yeah. Yeah, is a better matchup. But if he started, that would be the reason why he started. And that's not who Brian Schmetzer is. Brian Schmetzer is not the guy who adapts to other teams. Right. He really but, doesn't give a damn about the other guy. I'm, a, I'm assuming that whether or not you think Leardom or Svensson start, that it's a little different with them because they've been such integral parts of the team uh, outside of the playoffs, at least. Yeah, these weren't like mid-season acquisitions. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and there was and there's like the same the same analogy can be applied to those two because they were on the field when they won the game. Yeah. So, it's like okay, that that's a little bit and I know Brad Smith was too and maybe that's where things fall apart a little bit, but uh 
I mean, I, I, yeah. I think Svensson and, and Leardom were just, I mean, Svensson scored, literally was, scored the winner, scored, literally scored the winner. But beyond <laughs> that, he also literally lost his job. Like to the degree that he lost his job, it was completely outside of anything that he did. And yeah, he got COVID and he got COVID and he, and he, and he was on international duty. And, um, and that's kind of how it, that's kind of how it goes. Uh, he, and so he's, and he was really only, back in training for a few days before the Minnesota game. So it wasn't like he was really, I don't think he was really in contention to start that game uh, just from a fitness perspective. And Leardom has been dealing with a hamstring injury, which has kept him out. Uh, you know, and I, I think both players, I assume it's really about their fitness if they're going to start or not, because, um, you know, I, I think you can make a, a, a really good argument that Leardom is a better play from the beginning. And if you need Alex rolled on late, he's, he can be a, you know, you can swap him in and you can, you can generate a little bit more uh, of that sort of, you know, crossing ability and, and those kinds of things. Tactically, um, I don't know that they're like of those three sets of pairings that we're talking about, Kelvin and V, Alex, Gustav V, Joven because sure. of the, the staircases that fall or dominoes. I mean, and then Newton <laughs> versus Brad. Um, Kelvin versus Alex has the, the least change in, in, tactics how yeah. the squad yeah. works Agreed. yeah um brad versus new who doesn't have as big a changes as gustav um versus joven just again because of the dominoes but uh we've also seen so much of gustav central christian right this year that we know like it it's not a tier three option right um, and it's common and i and i think maybe Ian can back this up, but I'm pretty sure that statistically you can almost swap Jones for Svensson in terms of the way that the, like, at least the, when I've seen what I, the numbers I've been able to pair together, it looks like to me that Svensson and, and Jones, assuming those are the only two changes effectively don't change the way the Sounders play very much at all. Uh, they've been exceptionally good when you've got their when they when they, they had their first choice front six and kind of you know using Jones and Svensson as as um, interchangeable parts in that front six that they are uh, they're very very good. I want to say there's something like ten and one or ten and two, uh, but extremely good. They have, that's like almost all of their positive goal difference has come from games where those two uh, where, where they've had that that front six intact. Um, I don't yeah. know. You, yeah, you, no, it's. I don't want to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, I mean I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but uh, I, I can tell you that it, yeah, that, that that's not going to be a very big change in terms of um, because you're really kind of talking about mainly swapping. I think with like Roldan and, and Jones and who's right. up in that wing, and um, you know, it, it's one of those weird situations. It's one of, weird. It's not weird. It's really good where you have these two kind of different players that can contribute just about equally and it just kind of depends on what you want and i mean you've got the same thing again with with leardam and roldan and then um you know with smith and newhill you kind of have two different players i think there and they're both specialists you know i think smith is a much 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 better attacking player um you know and new who's a much better defender so um the good thing is that like not everybody has to play 90 minutes to contribute in these kind of things and uh so as many good cards as you have in your deck, it's going to come out on top, you know, like that, that's just part of what, what makes this team tick and what makes them, you know, so good in these kind of one-off games and in these like deep postseason runs. So um, yeah, you're right. Like It's not going to be a huge difference. It's just kind of like, what look do you want to use? And like, again, like Schmetzer is really, really good at picking these teams right now. You know, Schmetzer and I, and I think Schmetzer deserves a lot of credit for you know we don't have to get into this whole thing about how good of a coach Spencer coach he is but one he's of the pretty things, good he's pretty good I and I and I I just wanted to add one more note about the the Alex Roldan thing and I think it's something that that Siggy also did really well which is he's done a good job of making sure guys that are if not at the end of the bench certainly guys that are on the fringe of the rotation understand that they still have roles to play you know a will you know you look at a will bruin and here's a a player who probably is a 10 goal a year scorer if he's getting regular minutes and he's barely been able to get on the field this year for a variety of reasons um and you know he he had not played at all during the playoffs and 
he comes in and he scores one of the biggest goals in Sounders playoff history, I think, in that it turns the tide of a, of a match that had them on the brink of, uh, you know, either a really disappointing playoff run or a really satisfying playoff, playoff run. And, you know, and Alex Roldan is another example of that where, you know, a player who was, you know, a couple months ago was, was, you know, really only being used lightly in, in mop-up duty. And all of a sudden he got thrust into a, a, a leading role. And I think there's something to be said about coaches who can keep those types of players engaged and ready to contribute uh, without completely losing them. Uh, and, and that's in some ways, I think the best feature of a Brian Spencer team is that you have all these players that are buying in to this idea and that they're putting their, they're willing to put their differences aside. And it's not sexy tactical talk, but it's, I think the human part of it is really an important part of, uh, of Brian's success. And I think it's, it's a lot of what made Siggy so good when, when he was around. Um, and it's kind of fitting that we're, we're going into this, this game uh, between two teams that have such strong ties to Siggy. I don't know if we need to get too deep into that, but does anyone have any, kind of siggy thoughts that they'd like to share in this moment just because we're you know it feels like we need to to do that a little bit yeah I mean I wrote a story this morning about kind of everything about Ziggy Schmidt is on display here at this final and I think that that's really cool uh for both teams not just the Sounders um for obvious reasons you know Ziggy was the head coach of the Columbus crew before he came to Seattle um and I just think that that's really neat. I don't necessarily, I just, I kind of have really emotional thoughts about it. I don't necessarily have like profound things to say. Um, if you want profound things to say, you should read the uh, AP piece by Tim Booth uh, because Brad Evans has some awesome quotes in that. Um, but yeah, I just like, I think, I think it's really neat that like this, that, his legacy is going to live on no matter what happens in this final. I think uh, Seattle fans, um, it's kind of funny. My seatmates and I, the first ever soccer game that we all watched together because we knew we were going to have seats together was the 2008 MLS cup final on ABC head coach Siggy Schmidt of the Columbus crew. Um, yeah. So uh, it was just a cool thing for us, but it, most Seattle fans don't know that like Columbus had this, uh, like they were kind of a, a tier two team um, in the launch era of MLS. Uh, they had Brian McBride and, and Brad Friedel and that was basically it. Um, and somebody's going to pull out another guy. I think Thomas Dooley was there or some stuff like that, but really <laughs> it, was, it was, it was two guys that eventually left for the EPL and then Columbus was nothing until city showed up. Um, and he built them into the two-time shield winner that they were uh, because uh, sorry, Robert or Zyka, but uh, the 2009 success of the Columbus crew was really Siggy Schmidt. Um, in, in some ways, you know, we, we give uh, Brian a lot of credit for, for 2016. And a lot of that's because it didn't look so good under Siggy, but that squad was built um, with Siggy in mind. Like, a lot of its success was due to Siggy Schmidt. Um, and now um, it's uh, Seattle's legacy and history that is built by Siggy Schmidt. No one on the team outside of Brian, basically. Um, and the, you know, some of the assistant coaches, but the, the staff isn't, a, like the, the players aren't Siggy. It's not a Siggy team anymore. Um, well, Jordan Morris. Christian. Yeah. But still. Stephen Fry. But, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, lot, I, I'm not trying I'm not trying to yeah. de de derail your point but I um, yeah and and so essentially Siggy <laughs> is there with Seattle is the same way that he is with the crew in that he is their legacy and history of success um not necessarily this active icon whether um you know so it'll be it'll be interesting to see um uh you know Columbus did the right thing and put him up in the rafters uh, at their stadium. And um, maybe someday we'll, we'll decide to do that too. Cause uh, he, he did so much here, um, but they've already done it. Um, so they'll at the very least during one of those scene setting shots, we're going to get 
you know, some fancy uh, Fox camera scrolling by and we'll see Schmidt um, up in those, uh, those rafters in, in yellow and black. Um, and it'll be a good moment because it, it means um, a lot to Columbus and Seattle uh, and of course LA. And if you look at his coaching tree, like half of the uh, MLS and American coaches in the league are yeah. basically connected to Siggy at this point. Yeah, there's a there's an interesting amount of like connections between those those old Columbus teams in Seattle. You know, you've got like the obviously Chad Marshall and Ezra and um, Brad Evans was part of that team, I think. And I don't know, like even like Adam Moffat, if you want to <laughs> pull a deep cut from the both teams there. Well, can I go deeper? Josh yeah, Gardner, their Josh left Gardner. back, was a uh, USL sounder. There you go, uh, Pat Noonan. Uh, so, you know, the, the, there is, uh, there is an interesting kind of, um, I don't know, just connection between the two, uh, the franchises, uh, in, in that way that I think is interesting. So it, 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 uh, uh, it's good. It's good for the feelings. It's good to remember these things. Uh, a real quick note. I had to look this up because, uh, you mentioned Will Bruin and his 10 goals a year. And I was like, well, he's has to have that. And no, he doesn't, but he does have 72 goals in his career which is ahead of, or sorry, 71 goals. The USL one doesn't count. So his 71 goals are tied with Connor Casey, Kobe Jones, Eddie Johnson, CJ Sapong. Um, oh, yeah, he's like, he's ahead of Sebastian Giovinco. Um, he's... And that's that's MLS 25 great Kobe Jones. That, he is such that a... That he's ahead of. To have a player like that on your bench, who's not only that good, but that, team oriented that he is okay with that role uh is very difficult player to find in any league anywhere um so it it he's just i, I love will bruin i'm really glad he's on the team yes a good guy too uh, yeah he, he does. I, not, I love not, his podcast not, not yeah, so good at being podcast. consistently on his podcast but no he's got a day job that keeps him busy he does uh so the thing i wanted to close with is something that i know is near and dear to mark's heart uh, and it's the discussion of what Brian Schmetzer has referred to as the D word. And I think understandably the Sounders aren't super interested in like discussing before this, because it is frankly a, dis a distraction for them that bears no, that has no bearing on how the game goes. And who cares about what your legacy is in the middle of a game, right? And so I don't blame anyone involved in the Sounders for not wanting to engage in this. But for us, it's a lot of fun, I think. I, I enjoy this particular discussion because I think there's no wrong answer. Uh, you know, Hercules Gomez made the case on ESPN that it doesn't matter what happens. The Sounders are already a dynasty. And he's, and he's kind of using, I think, what I think of in uh, dynastic terms is not one small window of time of four or five years and how many championships you won, but this larger picture of in some ways, an uninterrupted run from 2009 all the way up until now where you pile all those trophies together. And, and, you know, the Sounders have four open cups. They've been to five open cup finals. They've been to, they've been to nine finals uh, in 12 years. They have a supporter shield on top of that. They have eight trophies during that time. This is a pretty amazing accomplishment that they've already put together. And I think you can stack this up against really any 12-year uh, run in MLS history and say that the Sounders are as good or better. You, you, you throw in every, the playoffs every year. You throw in that they've been to the comp, uh, conference quarterfinals every single year of their existence. You, you throw in that they've been to, I think, five, five conference finals in the last seven years. You, there's a lot of ways you can cut and dice this and never, never worse than fourth in the West. Never, never worse than seventh overall. Have yeah. always hosted at least one playoff game. Uh, even their biggest mark against them, the Champions League performance. They're only two MLS teams with better Champions League performances. Yeah, I mean, over history, like more wins over history in the Champions League, and that's the two that won it on American soil under Siggy Schmidt and Bruce Arena. Right, and I and I think that you can you can make that argument. That's on one side of the argument, and then there's the other side of the argument. Well, there's maybe three sides of this argument, but the other extreme side is the one that Alexi Lawless has apparently staked 
out and uh he said that the only thing that's a rival that is a dynasty is three straight or three titles in four years which i find particularly amusing because it means that like the 49ers of the 80s and 90s were not a dynasty and i think that is one of the teams that most people agree universally was a dynasty and the steelers weren't even a dynasty when they won four titles in the span of six years um it's the New England runner. Patriots of the modern of up what until is- last year. If you're going to claim the New England Patriots aren't a dynasty, then the word hat like no one is a dynasty in American We're, sports except yeah, for the New York Yankees in the '90s and the Chicago Bulls in the 90s. and the Cowboys, I guess too. Uh, <laughs> the Cowboys had a, a run in the I just looked this up in the or in, around the same that kind of intersected with the 49ers run uh, where they they won three titles in four years. But anyway, uh, that's the other side of it that that like no matter what happens in this game the sounders are still not a dynasty and then there's uh maybe the more fun discussion and maybe the one that we can entertain here uh because it's a little bit more here and now uh but you know and and the one that christian Roldan, in fact has sort of uh has sort of championed which is look no one calls a team a dynasty that loses half of their trips to mls cup and and the the idea that we have to win this to really cement our place in history if we want to have that place in history uh and i'll i'll just put that out there open-ended to you where do you fall down in terms of like are the sanders already a dynasty are they on i'm guessing no one thinks they can't achieve dynastic uh um properties by winning this game but where, where do you guys fall in this and how important is it i guess that's another thing uh for me you know i think it's it's a curiosity to me. Like it's, it's a narrative more than anything. It, it, it just, it's not something that um, that's for other people to say. And sure. I, you know, like if I say it, it's not going to mean much because I'm biased. If you say it, you know, it's not going to mean much. Yeah. Um, so you got to convince Alexi Lawless. And I don't think we're ever going to convince Alexi Lawless of anything. So I, I, it's not a huge concern. Like I, I look at kind of just the overall product, you know, MLS cups are important. I'm not going to act like they aren't, they give you the stars and the banners and, you know, you get to get the, get the, get the entries in the, in the, in the books, but looking at the Seattle Sounders as a holistic product, um, you know, since their, you know, MLS inception, how you could like even come up with any sort of, they're peerless. And um, that's, what's most important to me. Uh, is the fact that we keep coming back here, that we keep having to have these discussions, um, that uh, it's just, it's such a successful, it's such a well-run organization. It's such a, such a fun team um, for the fans. It's just, um, that's, you know, is it a dynasty? We'll see. I I definitely agree with Roldan. I think, you know, three out of four sounds a lot better than two out of four. It sure does. (laughs) Uh, But, but like, uh, I I hope this isn't a thing that's really on anybody's mind. Like there's a lot to be proud of. And I I, I think since coming into the league, you know, there just, there just isn't, there hasn't been a team that's had this sustained level of of quality that Seattle has. Mark, do you want to weigh in or is it just beneath you? Well, yeah, I'll weigh in. I was just, (laughs) I was just giving space for other people to talk. Um, I think I just like, personally, I don't, care about the d word um i've never like in sports uh, i've followed soccer most of my life and of course i'm american so the other sports have have kind of happened around me and yeah there's the dynasty since i've been alive there's been the bulls there's been the patriots most recently there's been a discussion about the golden state warriors there's always been a discussion about the new england patriots because they've been good since i was like seven or eight so uh and then there's of course the new york yankees so if you're looking at what what can a team accomplish over a decade or so or, and now we're, we're talking 12 13 years in the sounders case it's really hard to argue that they could have done more in the context of mls so yes like ian said they're of course peerless what really gets under my skin when we start talking about this is it always seems like the goalposts in the MLS pundits class gets, gets moved forward a little bit more just, just out of reach for the Sounders Sounders to accomplish once they've accomplished something. So the reason why I don't like this discussion happening right now, and I don't really care 
what happens after the game is I already know that the Alexi Lawlesses of the world are going to come up with some other standard that the Sounders cannot achieve because they're literally stuck in a moment in history. So, so, so it's three and five years. Okay. So if they, if they win it next year as well, they have to win three in a row or, you, you know, it's just always going to be that further down the road. And then, and then, that also is baked into the conversation about whether or not Brian Smetzer's a good head coach. Well, if you're looking at head coaches in American history, maybe it's only Phil Jackson that has done it with two different teams. That's it. Like he, he did it with the Chicago bulls and then he did it with the Los Angeles Lakers. And people are even having conversations about that at the time. It's like, well, the Lakers are, you know, Yeah the West Western conference is, is bad, you know, like the, the Portland trailblazers couldn't stop them or whatever. And it's just like, it, it's always a conversation about tomorrow and not a conversation about here and now. And then even I had a conversation today online. That's like, well, we know it, it was about Brian Smetzer predominantly, but it was like, we never, we never held Bruce arena's LA galaxy teams to the standards that we're holding Brian Spetzer and these Sounders teams to. And then that, that person said, well, yeah, of course we are. And it's like, no, we didn't then because that LA galaxy team from around 2009 to 2014 was legitimately an incredible MLS team for what they accomplished. And it's just like, it's, it's just so tiresome because there's going to be somebody that does it better I don't know if that's going to be in five years. I don't know if it's going to be next year. I don't know if it's going to be in 15 years, but you're never going to be good enough for the future. And like Alex Ferguson didn't win a lot, win enough league cups. And that's something that people complain about. And it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's just so frustrating. <laughs> you can't like future proof your legacy like that. Yeah. You can't, you can't. And, but I will say this, I guess in defense of, don't. In in defense of the conversation, not no. necessarily. I like and, and I'll and I'll point to I'll point to Brian Schmetzer's comment, uh, kind of the first comment that of the week that kind of got this going, and and he had a great turn of phrase that he always does, and and he and he like did this great thing where he he picked up another franchise and he said actually the Seattle Storm are the uh, the beacon by which we are trying to guide our our legacy and we would like to reach up to them they've got four titles so we need two more to to get to them and i thought not only is that a cool little thing to do in terms of like Mm -hmm. raising up the awareness of the seattle storm and paying uh paying credit to a, a, a team that is too often overlooked even in our our market but the other thing i thought was a cool little rhetorical device which was to say like to put as, as a way of motivating his own, maybe his own self, maybe the organization, maybe his players, but you never want to say we've already achieved this thing of greatness. And it's just about getting greater. You always want to put that just outside of your reach. You know, it's, it's the, it's the same thing that you do when you're teaching a kid to swim, right? You just keep taking steps back and get, say, take steps back. And it's really frustrating for that kid until they drowned. Well, until they swim across the pool, hopefully, right? <laughs> and and I think that's in and I and so I I I kind of appreciate that in that you never want to feel that the the moment that we're in is as good as it's going to get. You always want to be able to aspire to something greater, and and so I guess I appreciate that part of it. Now, the other part of me is going to be like, no, I'm going to put this on a shirt and I'm going to. It's on a headline and i'm gonna i'm gonna live in the moment for good but i i mean i think i appreciate the you know like the the rhetorical nature of this discussion because i think it's important to keep yourself motivated to keep reaching for the next thing and then when brian schmetzer retires in in five or ten years and he's sitting on seven or eight or nine mls cups then he can go like yeah we knew we were we knew we were great back or in like the 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 72 dolphins every year right putting videos online of them drinking champagne when whatever football team loses yeah like i love that like <laughs> I think brian's got the right attitude for himself as a coach and for the players but um, for us as fans 
And yeah, it's really cool to see as fans, but I think. No, no, I think for us as fans, it's better to live in the moment, I think. Like for us as Seattle fans, let's just admit it. Yes, this is a dynasty. It's not the Seattle Sounders dynasty. It's the Brian Schmetzer dynasty. And the Seattle Sounders are the freaking empire uh, to kind of go at what Stumptown did. Uh, frankly, there's no soccer team in the United States that can compare to the Seattle Sounders from 1994 to the present. And whether that's Hinton, Megson, Schmetzer, Schmidt, or Schmetzer, I would put the Seattle Sounders up against all of them, particularly organizations that didn't even bother to exist before the year 2000. Um, when you look at missing the playoffs only twice in a 26 year period, that's an amazing stat. That is such an amazing stat winning six league titles through the playoff system, winning four of them with Brian Schmetzer in charge, winning, I think it's four regular season titles between USL winning four open cups, having making the open cup, uh, semifinals twice as a usl team yeah um frankly we're the empire and uh seattle sounders fans uh seattle sports fans aren't really used to it but (laughs) frankly there is no team over a three decade stretch in north in american soccer us and canada that is comparable to this not the la galaxy not dc united and certainly not that team down to the South that didn't even bother to support soccer for <laughs> an entire decade. So um, I know it was snarky down at Stumptown Footy to say that we're the empire, but yes, we are. And well, it's their words. So yeah. And um, when Alex, uh, Alexi Lawless says that the Seattle Sounders aren't a dynasty, maybe that's true. Brian Schmetzer is the d- dynastic em- emperor in this case, because you compare his record as a coach from when he took over in 2002 to the present. And there is no American coach, not even Bruce Arena that compares to it because of his performance at both levels have shown that his ability to win championships with talent that is low and is high. He has worked with players who could never make an MLS roster and convince them to smash some of the best MLS teams in existence at the time. He did that. He has taken Jordan Morris and developed him from a rookie of the year to a best 11 candidate and a lock for the U.S. national team. Taken Raul Rui Diaz and Nico Ladero and Christian Roldan. Like, frankly, it's a dynasty and it's Brian Schmetzer's dynasty. It's not a Seattle Sounders dynasty. And Brian doesn't want to hear it. And Alexi Lawless doesn't want to hear it. And I don't care. Uh, (laughs) I I don't do hot takes very often, but this is one I'm very passionate about because, uh, frankly, uh, if you're claiming the Seattle Sounders aren't a dynasty, then the San Antonio Spurs under Greg Popovich weren't. And anybody who loves the NBA or is even aware that the NBA exists knows that what the San Antonio Spurs did under Pop with David Robinson and Tim Duncan around is unequaled in sports except for by one team. And that's the team that Brian Schmetzer works for. So to me, that's a lot more impressive than popping off for four years and just disappearing into nowhere. (laughs) Like, let's remember the LA Galaxy dynasty started with them getting two number one draft picks in a row because they were a trash organization. And who was the general manager at the time? Complete, utter trash. (laughs) General manager got fired and built their dynasty. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, And the league literally gave them a player. They, they had three DPs when there was only supposed to be one. Because remember that Javi, uh, Abel, uh, Javier, uh, Javier Abel, sorry, yeah. and Landon Donovan didn't count as designated players when Dan, David Beckham got signed, even though all three of them were making a million dollars when two-thirds of the league play, didn't even have a million-dollar player on the, their roster. So, yeah, great. Yeah, You got a first-round draft pick in Omar Gonzalez. You got A.J. De La Garza. You had two DPs that didn't count as DPs. Great. You did. You popped off for four years and disappeared entirely. That's not a dynasty. That's a blip on the radar. The dynasty is being around from 94 to 2020. Well, that's, that's a take that I can get behind. Yeah. I'm into it. I'm sorry. I'm definitely, Got a little passion no, there. No. It's been a while. I think that was Go great. That was like the best moment. That was like the best moment in the sound of her podcast history right there uh we got to get that on a loop make sure casey Casey, clip that put that in the (laughs) intro next year let's get this thing going uh but no that was good and i and i think and i don't want to 
I don't want to derail from that because that was a great point. I'll also point out that one of the things I just love about this organization, you know, you kind of alluded to that uh, since 2002, since Brian Schmester was hired, the Sounders have had two head coaches. They've had two GMs and they've had one owner. Like that is, I mean, one, like one controlling owner. I think we can maybe two yeah. we'll, we'll give Joe Roth. We'll give Joe Roth credit there. Right. That's an amazing, that's, that's almost 20 years of American soccer that has essentially been like just a smooth transition in terms of all the major front office positions. That's unheard of. That is, I don't know that like, I, I would imagine that you're right. Like the San Antonio Spurs are probably the only team that you can really do that sort of uh, comparison to. And it's, and it's been pretty, pretty amazing to watch. Uh, and I, and I would imagine you can go back even farther and, back to 94 and, and not be that different in terms of like the number of head coaches and the number of GMs and the number of owners. I think it was three head coaches prior to right. Brian. So, and I think it was two owners prior to um, Adrian. Adrian. So not that different in any case. Um, but anyway, that was, I think that's a good place to call this. I don't know if anyone has any final thoughts, but I feel like we're going to just, I'm, I, I feel bad for even speaking after that because it was, it was good stuff, Dave. That's right. I'll, I'll, I'll just cut it. And we'll be done. Yeah, good. good. Yeah, please do. Hey, um, here's a reminder: it's on Big Fox, it's on Unimos, it's on TUDN. Uh, coverage on TV starts at five. Coverage on radio on 950 KJR starts at 4:30. But Look kick is pro. Yeah. kick is going to yeah. be around 5:41. I think is the latest update. So um, make your plans. Get your HD antenna. Get your streaming. Get your cable. Get whatever, and um, enjoy the enjoy the community. Uh, around this team because uh, more important than any result tomorrow is literally the friends we've made along the way. Cause that's, uh, <laughs> that's the 2020 lesson is uh win or lose. Um, uh, what the four of us right here have had, what the literally uh, thousands of people on Sounder at heart will have had um, in 2020 and the tens of thousands that are Sounders fans around this region and country will have in 2020 is um, this blessing of a team and an organization that is placed to public health and civil rights ahead of winning games. And then they also won a lot of games. So um, that's a pretty cool combination and that's gonna be fun. So that's just my call. If you want my call to action, it's just to understand and bless the community that we all have together. That is a great place to to call this a show. I think um, I wanted to, to say thank you to to you guys for for doing this. Thanks to Dave for showing up on a big on a big day like this. Uh, you know, Dave is of course the founder of Sounder Heart, so we owe a lot of our gratitude yes. to him. I think uh, we can say that Sounder Heart is the best MLS blog in the world, and Dave deserves a huge huge. Uh, bit of appreciation from all of our readers and from us and so thanks dave for for uh for doing this for us and uh you know hopefully we have some more fun stuff to talk about but i'm jeremiah shan uh signing off for the center art podcast on behalf of dave clark mark kastner and ian lamberson uh we will hopefully catch you next time